Hey guys, Pastor Jürgen here. We're so excited you're tuning into one of our amazing messages. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, it's going to be real, and it's going to be powerful. It's going to help you to grow stronger in your walk with God. It's going to put faith on the inside of you. It's going to cause you to be able to walk in greater dimensions of blessing and enlargement so that you can be a blessing to other people. Well, lean in, enjoy the Word. God bless you. We are, we are in a new series, and it is our Vision Builders Month. Um, and that is where, as Pastor Mike brilliantly communicated, we get to partner with God to see, really, you know, his kingdom expand. That's, that's pretty much it. Um, tithes and offerings we bring on a regular basis. That's the first 10% of our income. And that is literally so we don't rob from God. The Bible says that we steal from God if we do not bring the tithes. So that's just like a fundamentals. Uh, and then the giving and the partnership is really the generosity part. That's where we get to partner with the kingdom to see it advance on earth as it is in heaven. And, uh, and so we're going to talk about this, you know, for the next few weeks. And the reason we're going to do that is because we don't shy away from touchy subjects. Obviously, money can be a little bit touchy. But guess what? Um, if this is your, you know, your first week, you're probably like, oh, I don't know much about Awaken. But if you've been here more than a week, you know we don't shy away from touchy subjects. Why? Great question. I'm really glad you asked. It's because we will disciple, preach, teach about anything related to your life and my life because we actually want God's best for you. His best for you. And the funny thing is, not funny, but, you know, real thing, is that God actually lives outside of this, this, uh, this building, and he goes with you to your workplace. He goes with you in your marriage. He's with you at home. He's with you in your finances, and he has a best plan for every one of those areas. And so if we can follow this, which is his word, his instruction manual on how to live his life for you, not my best, but his best, guess what? You'll see promises come to pass that look like heaven because that's our commission, bring heaven to earth and everything that we do. And, and so, you know, money is really important to God. He talks about it a lot, um, 2,300 times in your Bible to be exact, which is kind of a lot. And in top of that, you know, some people, oh, that's all the Old Testament. I would love for that to be true, but it's actually not exactly. It's in the New Testament as well. Jesus talks about it. It's his most talked about topic above heaven even. He talks about it more, depending on who's counting, right? Um, if you've got religious people counting, they're probably not counting you know, gold and silver and some other things, but Jesus talks about money a lot. Um, and the reason he talks about it, and one of the ways that he talks about it is in Matthew 6, 21. And that scripture says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Very fascinating. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Which, in my head, the way I'm receiving that is, if I give my treasure to X, I'm giving my heart to X. And if I'm withholding treasure from X, then I'm withholding my heart from X, which would mean if I give my treasure to God, I'm giving my heart to God. If I'm withholding my treasure from God, I might be withholding my heart from God, which is not what any of us want to do. And the general assumption is, and the reason I didn't do this until I came to church was because I just didn't know better. I didn't know that was true. I didn't read the Bible, which we encourage. So now that you know that, I know everyone's gonna start tithing and giving because now you know that you wanna give your heart as a believer to God, so we're gonna bring our treasure there so that it stays there. Pretty simple. Um, and that's why it's important that we actually see money the right way because like I said, some of us grow up in different environments. I grew up Catholic and Jewish. Very confused. We don't have time to talk about it, but I can guarantee you that we talked about different things depending on which thing I was at. 
I didn't, you know, I wasn't awake long enough at Catholic Mass to find out what they thought about money. But I do remember those long handles coming around and my mom giving me like a five or a 10 or a 20 to put in the bucket. And I thought I was being generous, right? Not even my money. Um, and then I go to synagogue and it's all in another language. So I have no idea what's how I did learn how to, how to write it and how to read it, but I didn't know what it meant. So that wasn't also very helpful in the knowing of what I'm supposed to do with my money. Uh, <laughs> but what I found based on that, and, and, and to be honest, you know, some of us had experiences early on where we didn't know if we could trust God. Like I lost my dad at nine years old. And so early on I thought, okay, well, if God loved me, why would that happen to me? And so I had this question circling. So I'm like, I don't really trust God with, you know, anything, honestly. Um, but I honestly didn't read his word, so I wouldn't know. I just had my own version of what I thought God was, which if you have that, then of course you're gonna think different things than we think. But that's why we say, read your word. Don't, don't trust us. I mean, trust us, but trust the word. And then trust us. I honestly, I, I, when I first came to church, I never read this. Uh, like I said, I read in Hebrew a little bit, but uh, I didn't read it. But so I trusted the leaders because I saw the fruit in their life. I said, wow, they're growing apple trees and they're producing good apples. I want those apples, so I'm just gonna do what they say, and then I'll read about it, and I'm, and I'm gonna continue. So I probably leaned on a little more trust with the leadership early on than maybe some of you might, but that's okay. That's why we give you a free Bible when you come, and, and you can start reading it. Um, so I found that perception isn't always reality, though, and that's, that's kind of the whole point, is what you think about God, what you think about he says about money might actually be different than what he really says. So um, I found that there are some things that, you know, I thought growing up and still thought up until yesterday um, that aren't actually reality. And so we've got some examples, if we could throw up some phrases that are pretty unique here um, that I think will blow your minds. Okay, nip it in the butt versus nip it in the bud. Literally didn't know that was a thing. Like, what's a bud? You can't know it. Maybe two of you can come and tell me what a bud is. A buddy? Pastor Mike, my butt? Okay. You Googled that after the nine. I know you did. Okay, next. Doesn't make sense. The one on the right, by the way, is correct. The one on the left is not. I could care less versus I couldn't care less. Now, if you really think about it, that makes sense. But most of us, I, I didn't think about it until yesterday. So now, now it makes sense. Okay, next one. One, okay, this, this one's annoying. One and the same versus one and the same. Come on, it's like the same thing. Why are we getting all upset about it? And grammar, I literally, I think I said that yesterday and I did this message over a week ago, so I just don't. Okay, next one. This, okay. I don't think this is even real English. You've got another thing coming versus you got another think coming? Who came up with that? Yeah, exactly. I guarantee I just blew like 700 minds right now because none of you actually knew it was that. But it is that. That's dumb. So I'm gonna keep using the first one. Okay, next Okay, this one might be worse. For all intensive purposes, of course, versus for all intents and purposes? Nobody talks like that. Na raise your hand if you talk like that. Okay, well, you're a doctor, so whatever, man. All right, next one. Yes, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I went to Europe and found this out the hard way. I also found out that you shouldn't ask for ranch dressing at an Italian restaurant on your pizza. And they don't have pineapples either. Espresso versus espresso, that makes more sense. Okay, last one, I think. 
Okay, this one's funny. I made a complete 360-degree change in my life versus I made a complete 180. Now, here's how it makes sense. Here's 360. I'm still jacked up versus I'm awesome now. That's before and after the internship, if you were wondering. So our, our, our perception is not always reality. Our perception is not always reality. And, and there's a couple other things. I'll quickly go through these because they made me laugh and I think they'll make you laugh. These are also things that my mom made me think was reality until I grew up and I realized it was just my perception was, um, you know, I guess frowning, you know, doesn't actually, you won't actually get stuck that way if you just frown forever. Like you can smile whenever you want. But my mom made me think like if I frowned for more than five minutes, I was done, toast, over, I was stuck that way. Um, also this one was really interesting. Um, if you grew up watching any kind of movies, you thought at some point in your life, probably relatively soon, you would encounter quicksand. And you would need to know how to get out of it. And so you've just gotta be very still, because if you start wrestling with it, it's gonna pull you down. <laughs> so I literally thought I was gonna have to encounter quicksand growing up, and then you realize there's actually not quicksand in most places. Um, kind of unfortunate, because I feel like I prepared really well for that moment. Uh, stepping on a crack could break your mother's back. You know, I only had my mom growing up, so I don't wanna break my mom's back. So I was very intentional about not stepping on cracks. Um, and that wasn't my mom who told me, I was some friends that told me that, and those friends are no longer friends of mine, I'll tell you that. Um, and I wasn't superstitious, but in the famous words of Michael Scott, I might have been a little stitious. Okay, you guys got that better. Yeah, 11 definitely caught that one. Better than nine, they were a little slow. Um, Obviously, the floor becoming lava, that's pretty standard, right? Got to hop on the couches. Okay, um, just me at Living Spaces doing that by myself. <laughs> and then lastly, and this is like, you know, this is a pretty standard one, is, uh, you know, thinking every adult when you're a kid, you think every adult just has it all figured out. And then I'm like, I'm like 20, I'm almost 30, and I don't. And I'm like looking at other adults, I'm like, you don't have it figured out? You don't have it figured out? You don't have it figured out? I definitely don't have it figured out. And I'm looking at these kids, and they think we got it all together. I'm like, well, I guess we're just all along for the ride of a lifetime. So, so there's so many things that are actually a certain way that we don't know are not a certain way until we find out. And one of those things for me that was pivotal when I came to church was realizing God actually doesn't want something from me first. He doesn't want something, he just doesn't, like when it comes to money, he doesn't just want it from me. What if, what if, what if God talking about money and actually wanting my money had a lot more to do with him wanting more of me, him wanting more for me, and then him wanting, lastly, after those two things, more from me. So the title of this message today is More, More. And it depends how you see it, and how you see it will determine your reality. So I believe God wants us to look at his perception, his reality of money and of partnering with his kingdom and of seeing that come on earth as it is in heaven in San Diego, in San Marcos, in your life as it is in heaven. Um, so the three points, you already got them, really amazing up front, uh, is more of us, more for us, and then lastly, more from us. So point number one, if you're taking notes, I recommend there are tears in heaven and you will, I'm just kidding about the uh, notes part. I do believe that's another conversation. So I'm not gonna dive into that at the moment. Point number one, more of, more of. So if our treasure is tied directly to our heart, which we already said, that's what Jesus said, um, then we will obviously want 
God to have more of us. That's pretty standard. Um, God kind of led the way. He said, uh, I so loved you that I'm going to give you my treasure. I'm going to give you the most important thing in my life, which is my son, Jesus. So I'm going to give because I love you. I'm going to give you. And then, so that would make sense for us to have a natural response to that of, God, thank you for giving me your treasure. I now, having received that treasure and it changing my life, I'm now going to give you my treasure. Does that make sense? It's kind of like a pretty standard reciprocation um, of, of how we should act. And, and yes, we should give to get, and we should believe that God would actually pour back into our lives as we are generous because the Bible says so. And if the Bible says so, then we should fall in line with that. But our first response should actually be more of a thankfulness and a gratitude to the grace that we've received. So we see this in a few places. The first one that I want to point out is in Noah. Um, in his life, uh, he obviously was the flood guy, if you're not familiar with that story. So he survived the flood, big ark, lots of animals, no booze, pretty sure. And so <laughs> it's a long time. And so he gets out of the boat, praise God. He gets on land. He's still this. But the first thing he does is not, oh, I got to go get my career figured out. Oh, I got to go do that. Oh, I got to go grocery shopping. No, no, no. First thing he does is he gives an offering to God. Why? Because God saved him. And he saw it really clearly like, whoa, God, you killed everything else. And yet I'm alive. That's kind of crazy. Yet most of us, when we get saved, we don't see it immediately because nothing changes in the physical, but everything changes in the spiritual. So we don't see an ark that we're on now that we weren't on before that is escaping the flood, but it's the reality. So if we saw that, we'd be like, God, you can have everything. You can literally have everything. And we see kind of different responses in the New Testament. We see in the case of the rich young ruler, he comes up to Jesus and he says, hey, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, oh, follow all the commandments. And Rich Young Ruler's like, yeah, 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 I've been following all those since my youth. Jesus kind of laughs internally because he's like, oh, you're perfect? That's wonderful. There's two of us now. Um, and we live at the same time? How crazy. Uh, and then he says, okay, if you've done that, okay, um, then sell everything you have, give to the poor, come, follow me. Rich Young Ruler, it says he walks away very sad because he had many things. But the truth is, those many things had him. He could have been one of the apostles, and yet he decided not to because those things had him. And we'll, I want you to focus on the part where he thought he was already in alignment with everything God had for him. The second example would be Zacchaeus. This was literally the next chapter in Luke. It's very fascinating. It's literally right after that. Um, Zacchaeus wants to hear Jesus preaching, so he climbs up on a tree because he's a little guy. He's probably my height, and he can't see over everybody else. I'm standard height, okay? I'm five foot ten with these shoes on. And, uh, and so Zacchaeus climbs up. He's a tax collector, so he's been robbing from his own people. He's been very sinful, and, and now hearing Jesus teach, he's aware of it. He's aware of the gap where, because the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So he's now, oh my gosh, I am sinful. And then Jesus points him out and says, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming over to your house. Let's cook some lamb, and let's eat some dinner. And, uh, okay, he probably didn't say that, although Alex almost oh so good would probably make it really good. And, uh, and so he, he comes over, and before he even meets Jesus, before, he even, he, before Jesus comes over, he's, he literally comes to Jesus and says, hey, I've already given away half of my possessions to the poor, and I've restored every, I'm gonna restore everything back to the people I've stolen from. Why did he do that? Because he had a recognition of this gap where money had had a hold over his life, and it therefore had a hold over his heart. And so he didn't have to give up all of his money like the rich young ruler had, why? Because it wasn't all of his money that had a hold on him. 
How much money is too much money? Wherever you stop trusting God. Might be a billion dollars, it might be 10 million, it might be 10,000. But wherever you stop trusting God is where there is too much money. For him, it was just half. So he gave away half. And Jesus didn't say, hey, I just told rich young ruler to give away all of this, so you gotta give No, he was totally fine with it. Why? Because he now had given his heart to Jesus. And then in that moment, when, when, when Zacchaeus said, I gave you an offering, he didn't say, can you save me? Jesus says, now salvation's come to your house. Why he brought an offering? Why, why would that make sense? Well, it's because he brought his heart. We see it later in the New Testament. Cornelius has been giving offerings. He's the first Gentile to receive the Holy Spirit. He'd been giving offerings, and he got saved because of his offerings. Why? Because he was placing his treasure to God. And if he placed his treasure there, what else did he place? His heart. Fascinating. Fascinating. And then lastly, we see in the New Testament with Jesus, we see a prostitute who was forgiven of much, and she knew it. We're gonna see it in a second. She came to Jesus right before he was about to be crucified and she poured out an alabaster jar of oil which cost they said about a year's wages which is a lot of money like giving an offering of a year's wages like that's significant and yet she brought that and then the religious people like oh why'd she do that she's wicked all this stuff and then jesus says this in hebrew or in uh, luke 7 47 he says i tell you her sins and they are many have been forgiven so because she's been forgiven has shown me much love but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And he was talking about the religious people. Now, I've got a theory. It doesn't explicitly say it in the Bible, but I've got a pretty solid theory that we've all actually been forgiven much. Because the reality is, all, the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yet, it's not whether we've been forgiven much, it's where we realize we've been forgiven much. My life was such a train wreck up until seven years ago when I got saved, that it was pretty easy for me to see that my life was a train wreck and I desperately needed saving. I was into drugs, I was into alcohol, I was into using people, I was into lying, cheating, stealing, basically the whole 10, more or less. Um, I didn't actually, I didn't kill anybody, but the Bible says that if you have anger in your heart towards your brother, guess what, you're a murderer. I had a lot of anger in my heart. So I had breached all 10, so I was extremely aware that I was falling very short. So when I heard the reality of the gospel, which is if I just believe in Jesus, because God sent him as a replacement for me to take my sin, I could be made right with God and I would be seen as a son of God just the way Jesus, I'm like, that, that's too good to be true, but I'm gonna say yes anyway and figure it out along the way because that is just insane. And so when I got saved, I had no problem giving. I had no problem giving because it wasn't my life anyway. The Bible says if we're made new with Christ, then we are alive with him, which means we had to die to something, which is our old self. So now all of my money, all of my life, everything in me is actually his. So if he's asking for 10%, no problem. If he's asking for 10% plus an offering, no problem. Why? It's all his anyway. So it just made sense to me. And that was the easy way to do it. And I said, if I get to actually give to God, give to Jesus, the one who saved me, if I get to reciprocate that love, what an honor. And some of us are in here saying, well, you don't. You actually give to the church. And that's Old Testament. Well, in the New Testament, it talks about something else, and it's Hebrews 7, verse 8. It's really fascinating, actually. It says, here, mortal men receive tithes. That's our finance team. That's here to Awaken Church. We receive, the pastors receive the tithes for the church. But there, where's there? He's talking about heaven. He receives them. Who's he? Of whom it is witness that he lives. Well, why is it important that he lives? Pastor Mike lives. Pastor Tim lives. All of us are alive. So why are we pointing out that someone's alive? That's kind of weird. Well, it would only be weird if that person was once dead. And it's amazing that they're alive. And it doesn't make sense that they're alive. 
And I only know one person that has ever died and is still alive to this day, and he has a name, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And it says that when we give, we actually, yes, it's received here, but it's also received up there, which means Jesus is still watching that tide bucket, and it's actually coming to him. So I said, oh my gosh, if I get to give directly to God, what an honor is that? That's why I didn't have to know how the church managed its budget when I joined the church. I didn't have to know if the church was on par, if they were doing all the things right, because I was giving to God. I wasn't giving to people. Now, I can tell you, being on the inside, we are amazing stewards of our money, thanks to our finance team. But I didn't need to know that, and it honestly shouldn't matter that much, because you're giving to God. That's point number one. Yep, I think it's worth a clap. It's pretty good. Okay, next, next point, more for. Once God has more of us, he actually wants more for us. Why? Because he's a good father, and good fathers want more for their kids. Now, I'm a pretty good dad. 11 months, my, my little Brielle is. Um, the only thing we haven't done yet is dedicated her. Probably should have done that today. Whoops. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> I dedicated, yeah. We're not going to talk about it. Um, but I want nothing but the best for my daughter. And I know every parent in here would say the same thing about their kids. And Jesus says, you all think you're good dads and you're wicked compared to how good God is. So think about how much God wants to bless us. So the whole theology of like, God wants you to suffer, I'm like, do you have a dad? Do you, are you a dad? No, neither of those? Then that's probably why you got a jacked up perspective. Or you listen to somebody teach you about the Bible, but you never read it for yourself and saw that God is a good father, so you should probably read it for yourself. Or trust us, either way. Um, and so we see it in a couple of places. John 10, 10, devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, Jesus, have come to give life and give it abundantly. Okay, so that's Jesus explicitly saying he wants you to have an abundant life. Then we have 3 John 2, where it's communicated the heart of Jesus through his disciples saying, beloved, I pray that you prosper in all things just as your soul prospers. So how we see God matters once again. And if we see him as a good father, we know that number one, he wants to bless us. And number two, he wants to make sure that blessing doesn't break us. Because the Bible says that any inheritance claimed too soon won't be blessed in the end. Wish I read that, um, you know, eight years ago before I blew my inheritance for $100,000, not knowing that I wasn't ready for it. And some of us are concerned that God is not for us because we haven't seen the blessing we thought was possible or we've seen in other people, but maybe God actually loves you so much he doesn't wanna bless you all the way just yet that you know is his promise because you would probably break it at this point or it would break you and that would be even worse. And so God knew exactly what he's doing and he still does. And I found the more we trust God, the more he can trust us with. Now, the important thing we're saying, because God does this through giving, so as we give, it's giving back, press down, shaking together. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. All those things are true. And so, yes, the pathway forward for you to grow, and if you want more for yourself, if, and, and you believe God wants more for you, then that pathway forward is giving. It's really simple. It's giving. Uh, but what we're not saying is that you can manipulate God into meeting X, Y, Z need, because that's fertility religion, and that's not here. But we are saying the Bible's true. God won't be mocked. Whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. It's Bible. Now, the way you know, that you're seeing that of like, oh, well, it sounds like prosperity. It sounds like these things. Well, you do realize that your money's not just for you. It's for other people. And what we see in the book of Acts is we see a man named Simon the Sorcerer, and he was going around performing magic and doing all these things, and he was making money from performing magic for people. So then when he saw power that was greater than his by the apostles, 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, doing signs and wonders and miracles, he's like, yo, 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 they're still in my show. Uh, I'm gonna get that power and then I'll keep making the money. So he's trying to purchase heaven. You can't purchase heaven. You can't purchase heaven. But, and, and so the, the apostles basically are like, uh, nope, and you're cursed. <laughs> like, you can't do that. That's, that's so wrong. It's so backwards. So that's not what we're saying. But we are saying that if, if you seek first the kingdom of God, in your giving, in your lifestyle, guess what? God wants to bless you with all the things. He wants to add everything. But remember, how much is too much? Well, when you don't need God anymore. And when you don't trust him. So, and that, that really was the story of our life. When, when my wife and I first started, you know, when I came to this church, when she came to this church, we were both pretty broke. I mean, I literally just spent 100 grand, and guess what? With credit cards, you can go backwards. Negative, that's where I was. <laughs> so immediately, I was like, well, I'm already, you know, I'm already in trouble, so I'm gonna trust these guys. They all seem to have their life together. They all seem to have fruitful finance. I can tell based on their lifestyle and, and their generosity and everything. So I'm gonna just do what they did because if I do what they did, I'll probably get the same result because the Bible says God's no respecter of persons. So I started doing that. Guess what? Started getting blessed, started getting blessed, started getting blessed, started getting blessed. But it wasn't like overnight. I mean, my wife and I were talking about this, uh, you know, I think it was this morning, about when we, you know, were first married and we had just finished the internship and we were about to, you know, go into full-time work again and, you know, there were many times when we just had, you know, $10, $15 to put in the tank. And so, you know, we were talking about how even a few years ago, after a couple of years of being married and seeing God bless us, that, uh, you know, we had to rewire ourselves. You can actually put a full tank of gas in the car because we were so wired to be broke for so long. But as soon as we started giving, the Bible says the way of the righteous spirals upward. And that's exactly what happened to our life. The last point is more from. So once God has more of us and we start to believe that God wants more for us and we participate with him by giving to unlock that, the next thing we see is God actually asking now that we are in alignment with those two, now he wants more from us. One of the most important things that I learned coming to this church really early on was the reality that there's no such thing as casual Christianity. Now you can live casual Christianity, but it doesn't exist anywhere in the Bible. It's not God's best for you. And you'll get to heaven one day and be really upset for a second, and then you'll be fine, that, you, that we wasted some, some opportunity to see his kingdom come in this, in this life. And it doesn't, once again, it does not mean that God doesn't want us to enjoy everything. It does not mean that God wants to have a full life, but he wants it to be a purposeful life. He wants it to be on mission with him because there actually is no greater fulfillment than being on mission with the plan that your creator set you up for. Like, if we didn't use this pulpit for what it was designed to be, this thing wouldn't be fulfilled. Now, it doesn't feel anything, obviously, because it's a pulpit. But if it did, it wouldn't feel fulfilled. It's the same thing with our life. If God, the creator, fashioned us and formed us to build his church and to enjoy life, guess what? If we're not doing those things, we won't feel fulfilled. And so being here, I was awakened to the reality pretty quickly that um, we're in a war, spiritual war. Um, and, and so I'm thankful for pastors who have taught us and trained us from the very beginning, but when it was when life and America and everything was totally fine, or at least you know from the outward appearance it was totally fine, um, and they trained us from the beginning that we we're in a spiritual war, we're in an invisible war. But what happened in 2021 and 2020 was most people, for some reason, you know, obviously we know why, became awakened to the reality that there is an invisible war that got brought into the visible. But I'm thankful that we have pastors who've taught us how to prepare because I wasn't shaken. There were some days that it was like, whoa, this is kind of crazy. But my wife and I talked about like, how, what a blessing, what a privilege to be alive during a time when God is bringing the invisible to the visible. Because what's the worst you can do? Pastor, you're gonna say it the other night. What's the worst you can do? Cut off my head? Great. 
I'm going to be with Jesus to live as Christ, to die as gain. Now, that's kind of intense. I understand that. But imagine if you lived every single day with that reality that we're in the middle of a war. And if you're in the middle of a war, every nation takes all of its resources, does whatever it has to do to take victory. And so what you start to do is you start to look and what the Bible says is Matthew 6, is you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added to me. And so initially, as soon as I came in, that was, that was the path I took. And my life was really never the same. Um, and once again, it doesn't mean God wants you to lack or be poor or anything like that. It just means he wants you to prioritize his will, his kingdom first, because it's not about us. And what's kind of helped me do this, I grew up playing sports. And so I'm very familiar with scoreboards. So if you're playing baseball or you're playing basketball, those scoreboards look a little bit different. If you're, you know, playing baseball and you're losing seven to two, you're done. It's bottom of the ninth most of the time, unless you're the Giants and you're going to come back and win. Yeah, okay. I knew that wasn't going to go over well. Not as bad as when I mentioned the Raiders, though. So, okay, seriously, you're booing the preacher? It's a little much. I had it coming. It's fine. Super Bowl this year. The second, the second scoreboard, basketball, if you're losing seven to two, it's probably the first quarter and you're totally fine. Two threes and you're in your back. And so seeing scoreboards was really helpful for me. And so I saw, okay, well, there's a world scoreboard that I've been playing for for a long time. And I may be winning in some categories of that. I may be cool from in front of my friends. I maybe have this car, have this amount of money or have this title or position. And I'm spending this time and I'm doing these vacations, but like I'm, I'm losing on the kingdom scoreboard because I haven't prioritized his will. I haven't prioritized his kingdom. And so I want to move my entire focus to this scoreboard. And I noticed myself even, you know, even, even, you know, now being a pastor, you know, I've been doing this for a little while. I have moments where I'm looking at the world scoreboard to tell me if I'm winning. But I have to remember, no, 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 this is the scoreboard. This is the scoreboard because I'm living in a physical reality that one day will have spiritual ramifications and I don't want to forget what I'm playing for. And so one way to do that, and I've done this before in moments and seasons when I felt drawn towards that other scoreboard as I, as I you know, I really contemplate on this word eternity. Because you say eternity and immediately people start thinking about what's next. They stop thinking about now, they start thinking about what's next. C.S. Lewis had a famous quote saying, if more Christians started thinking about eternity every day and what that would mean for them today, they would actually look like Christians. Because it affects your decision making, it affects where you spend money, it affects where you spend your time, it affects what you do in such a way that you start to live for kingdom. And remember, kingdom is still fun. Kingdom is still powerful. Kingdom is still joy. Kingdom is still all the things, but it's geared towards a higher purpose first. And so there was a man who took this to heart, and his name was Arthur Stace. He lived in Australia, and he was a wreck. He was probably like me before he got saved. And he was doing all kinds of crazy stuff. You know, got arrested. You know, I didn't get arrested. I almost got arrested, but I didn't. And so <laughs> he was drastically aware when he got saved of, of the gap. And so he, he stepped into, you know, salvation. He felt like God say, put him on the specific mission of, of making people aware of eternity. And so what he did, it's really fascinating. This is from uh, the story Wikipedia article. Um, it's very accurate. He said, several mornings a week for the next 35 years, Stace woke at 4 a.m. to go around the streets of Sydney and chalk the word eternity on footpaths, doorsteps, railway station entrances, anywhere else he could think of. Workers arrived in the city and would see the word freshly painted, but not the writer. And the man who writes eternity, as he was called, became a legend in Sydney. The Sydney City Council tried to shut him down because, you know, you can't deface pavements and stuff. Um, and so he narrowly avoided arrest about 24 times. It's a lot. Um, every time he was caught, he, he responded with, but I had permission from a higher source. 
Every eight or nine years, he tried to write something else, but he realized his one call was to write eternity. His legacy is this. He wrote eternity 500,000 times in Sydney over the course of 35 years. In the 2000, we're gonna put up a picture here in a second, in uh, the New Year's Eve celebration, which was literally the turning of a century, they put this on the Sydney Harbor. One billion people saw that that night. And the question of eternity sparked in their minds. How would it affect? We don't know how many people responded to Jesus that night just based off of asking that question, what's gonna happen to me? Because God can speak at any point to any person. Then later that year in the Olympic Games, they did this. Eternity. 3.7 billion people watched opening ceremonies at Sydney that year. So in that year, 4.7 billion people, half of the world's population had to think about the word eternity, even for a moment. Because when you think about eternity, everything changes. When you think about eternity, everything shifts. If you don't live your life focused on eternity, then giving, doing all this, it's not gonna make a lot of sense, and it's probably kind of stupid. But if you can reckon with the reality that one day we will have to stand before a king who gave us talents, who gave us one, maybe four, maybe five, and asks us to multiply it and use it for his will, we'll come back and say, what'd you do? Now, once again, there won't be shame, condemnation, any of that, but there will be a reality that maybe we could have done more, and I don't want that to be me, and I know we don't want that to be our church. And so we saw a man do this as I closed in, uh, in the Holocaust, and his name was Oscar Schindler from the movie Schindler's List. And uh, he was basically, a, you know, he was a pretty wicked man up until, you know, he had this kind of reckoning moment. He partnered with the Nazis to literally make money from the Holocaust. I mean, it's pretty bad. <laughs> he's making money on it. He's not only willingly participating, he's now profiting from it. And so he would, you know, have these manufacturing plants. He's pretty wealthy inside of the, the ghetto. And then one day, his life changed because that one day was the day that they were given the order to execute men, women, and children, 5,000 of them, just like that. And so he saw a massacre because it became real to him. Eternity somehow became real to him. He had a reckoning of, oh my gosh, this is real. This isn't just about me. This isn't about my life. This isn't about what I'm doing. This isn't about money. This is, this is life. And so immediately he had a sobering moment and he switched and he said, I'm gonna spend all of my money. I'm gonna spend the rest of my money getting as many of them out as possible. And so what he did is he bribed, he did whatever he had to do and he got out a thousand Jewish people. He saved a thousand lives with all of his money. He literally spent every, every penny. And then in the movie, if you've seen the movie at the very end, it's a sobering moment, but he walks out because he has to leave because the, the war's over and he saved all these people. And you know, they're talking to him, they're like, thank you so much, thank you for everything you've done. And they present him with this ring, just like this. And the ring says, if you save one world, you save the entire world. And he gets it and he drops it because he's, he's shaking. And he, and he looks around, and he, all the thousand people are literally standing right in front of him. It'd be like probably in one day when we get to heaven, realizing all the people that we affected, all the lives that we touched by partnering together as a church to see a city, to see a state, to see a nation one. We have no idea what's on the other side of your giving. You have no idea what's on the other side. And so he, he's shaking, and he says, I, I could have done more. I could have done more. I could have, I could have. And the first thing he says is, I could have made more. I could have made more. There are many of us in here maybe today that have been comfortable with making what we've made because it's made us comfortable, it's blessed us, it's taken care of us and our lives and everything, but there is a call on your life to generate wealth, to see the kingdom come in this city, to see the kingdom come in this state, to see the kingdom come in this nation. It's the first thing he said, I could have made more. 
because we shouldn't just live for ourselves. The second thing, because prosperity is for other people. And the second thing he said was, he starts to look at his car. Oh my gosh, my car, that, that's 10 people. Because he, he had to bribe based on a certain number of people, so he knew how much it would cost. He said, oh my gosh, that, that's 10 people. He starts to shake, he almost falls down. And then he, he, he realized when he, he has a pen, he has a ballpoint pen. He pulls out the pen, two, I could have I saved two more. I could have saved two more. And he basically has this sobering awareness of that our money isn't just money, it's souls. It's souls. And, and, and the Jewish people were like, no, 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 you don't understand. You, what you did, you've saved generations, you've saved, you don't, you don't even know what you've done. And so I don't say that to be kind of this weighty, heavy thing, but it, it is important for us to reckon with the reality that eternity is here and now and that one day we'll get to see all the beauty, all the salvation, everything that was done with our funds, whether it was a little to us or a lot, because we saw the kingdom come. So I love if everyone could stand to your feet. I just want to take one moment and honor the, the sanctity of this moment, honor the sanctity of what is going to happen, because the Bible says that when we present offerings to the Lord, it's, it's, it's a pleasing aroma to him, and it's, he knows what it costs you. But he knew what it cost him when he sent Jesus. And so I want to pray for every single person in this room that if you are a believer, if you, and even if you're not yet, that as God loved you and he gave, that you would love him and you would give. And at the end of this month, on June 26th, we're going to have an opportunity as a church to come together and present an offering that is pleasable to God. So I love everyone could bow your heads, close your eyes, and just open your hands like you're going to receive something. Because I believe right now God is going to speak to you. Because what I don't want to do is we're not here to tell you as a church what you should give. But I do believe that if you were to ask God, he would tell you what you should give. And all we want you to do is be obedient to the word of the Lord that is coming to you. So Father, I thank you right now that you are speaking to every person in this place, that your plan is to enlarge them, that your plan is a good plan for their life, to prosper them, not to harm them, to give them a hope and a future. So Father, I thank you for the radical revelation that you don't just want more from us, you first want more of us. Then you want more for us because you're a good father. And lastly, you do want more from us because you know that on the other side of this life is a life that lasts forever. And the more of us that we get to take with us, the bigger the party. So Father, I thank you that right now, Holy Spirit, that you would quicken your word to every single person, that there would be no shame or condemnation about the past or what they have or have not done, but there would be a grace to give, a grace to respond to your love and to everything that you've done for them. Father, I thank you that you would do what you say, which is when we give, it's given back, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Father, we prophesy that as they give, there would be a return of 30, 60, and 100-fold in this life and in the next. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I believe this is going to be a big year for us as a church and a big year for us as a campus, and I don't want anybody to miss out. So last thing I want to do, if everyone could just stay where you're at, bow your heads, close your eyes for just one moment. If you're sitting here today and you're standing here, et cetera, and you were saying, wow, this is kind of crazy. I don't even know Jesus. I don't know this one you're talking about. How could I give to one that I don't even know? Well, friend, he wants to know you. The Bible says that he, God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. And if it was just you, he would have given Jesus for you. And today you have an opportunity to respond to him. The Bible says that the religious people back in the day didn't know how to respond to God because they didn't know how to be made right with him. And thankfully, Jesus makes that way pretty simple. It's responding to him. It's declaring that he is Lord and Savior and believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that truth. So on the count of three, I want to ask you to lift your hand just so I know who I'm praying for. And then we're going to dismiss service. 
Maybe you're like me and you never knew God and then you walked in this room today and you're like, wow, this is crazy. I actually, I'm so far away. I know there's a gap in what I've done. I know I can't get to heaven based on my good merits or what I've done, but I know that if I respond to Jesus right now, I could have eternal life and life with him now. Friend, I want you to respond on the count of three. And if you're in here and you once walked with God, but somehow ran away, fell away, walked away, whatever the case is, today you can come back to him. There's grace for you today. So one, friend, God loves you. Two, I promise you'll never be the same. Three, if you could just lift your hand wherever you're at, so I know I'm praying for. Beautiful. I see your hand. Beautiful. I see your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Beautiful. I see your hand. Beautiful. I see your hands. Beautiful. There's hands all across this room. Thank you, Jesus. Beautiful. Well, church, we're going to pray a prayer together. And because of time, what we're going to do is we have our team, Joe, my handsome friend Joe, he's got a book and he's got a team all around this room that want to just take a moment and pray with you and give you a gift. Gifts are cool. And it is the Bible, which is God's word to you. And then it is a book called Following Jesus, which will help you read that Bible, which is really cool. And we want to pray with you, get you that gift. So they saw you or if they didn't see you, make sure to come and find them and get that gift. Um, but let's all pray this prayer together. This is a prayer that we've all prayed if, if we've received Jesus. And it's a prayer to invite Jesus to become Savior and Lord in our life. If you have never prayed this before, then today, pray with all of your heart, soul, strength. Let's say it together. Dear Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross. You took my sin and gave me your life. I turn away from my old life and I turn to you, the author and the finisher of my new life. I declare you are my savior and you are my Lord. And the rest of my life, will be the best of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.